0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd.
1: Our story this week
0: picks up where we left off last week.
1: broadcasting from the quarantine ziggurat at omaha deep below the metro area the omaha metro area by the way that's right we said omaha twice in that sentence it doesn't oh, matter weird. it's our pleasure <laughs> to welcome you to our final halloween spectacular of the year episode 595 of the two-headed nerd comic book podcast i am head number one but you may know me better as the internet's joe patrick and i am Fired up!
0: And I am head number two. I'm playing it cool this week, and my name is Matt Baum, folks. Today on the show, the Cosmic Long Box has been possessed, and it's forcing us to review comics starring demons and devils. And after that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must read picks for next week.
1: Look, I want to tell you people that don't know us personally. If Matt's the one playing it cool, there's something seriously wrong in the universe. (laughs) And finally, we're fanning the flames of the Satanic Panic by counting down our top five favorite comic book demons and devils. So get ready to ride this flaming episode to hell, kiddies, because it's review time in the cigarette. We've done monsters. Ghosts and even fifth week events, which turned out to be way scarier than we thought it would be. It really did. (laughs) But this week might be our most terrifying cosmic long box review segment yet. Matt, I've made the salt pentagram just like they do on Supernatural. As long as we stay inside the circle, we should be fine.
0: Why don't you start us off? I didn't know that's what you were doing. And I rubbed a pork loin in part of it just to get a little seasoning on it. Well, so you should great. have told me that. I guess Crowdy's going to show up now. <laughs> awesome. My first review is of the new Teen Titans number five from DC. The year was 1980. And this is where we met. Trigon, the four eyed cute little deer <laughs> antler demon. He's got the stubby littered <laughs> little doe antlers. Like, what is that about? Deer antlers. He's so cute. This is written by Marv Wolfman. Like, with- why aren't they at least sharp? I don't know. With art by guest penciler <laughs> Kurt Swan, which threw me. I didn't know I was going to read a Kurt Swan book. Five issues in, George. Come on, man. <laughs> I've always felt that DC had the weaker of the demons and devils when it came to the big two, so I wanted to read this first full appearance of Trigon. Now, technically, we got a glimpse of him in issue two, but he was just like his eyes and the stuff in the cloud. This is his first real story, and man, does this dude like to talk. Trigon is Raven's dad, who... At this point, the Titans still don't believe even exists until he sends a dog-looking demon named Goron to kill them. After that, the Titans beat up Goron, Trigon shows up, and shit gets emo real fast. Wally had a thing going with Raven, didn't trust her, thought she was a liar. Now he realizes it's true, feels really bad. The Titans are still super horny, but they're all kind of in breakup mode right now. They're not really a team yet, and they kind of reinforce the whole time that, like, look. The only way we can fight this guy is as a team. And we got together, we got to get together as a team to fight this dude. And then when they do get together as a team, they lose. <laughs> Which
1: I thought, Dragon's hella powerful,
0: yeah. I, I guess. I, I don't know. Raven feels bad for being evil the entire time and dragging the Titans into the fight, even though they can't beat Titan, and she seems to know it. <laughs> She still keeps telling them, we have to do this, we have to do this, we have to do this. She even tried to talk to Justice League. They told her to fuck off. Trigon wears a white cape that looks sort of like a wedding dress from behind. That's frilly. <laughs> <laughs> and he's very fashionable. he used a bad guy with a ponytail and a see-through scalp named yep. Simon to he's invade got a brain the dome. Titan's dimension. There's a lot going Simon.
1: on. Simon. Simon, he's a member of the yep. Brotherhood of Evil. PSI.
0: Simon. Yeah, like it. psychic. And I feel like I met Simon later on, because when he popped up in this, I was like, wait a minute, why do I know that guy? Oh, yeah, no, he's an ongoing villain. Okay, but he didn't always have the pervert ponytail, right? Like, because I'll tell no, you No, he what. always had the pervert ponytail. Did he really? Because nothing, like, oh yeah, bald guy with a ponytail? Creepy enough. Nah, nah. See-through scalp the, he guy? He the, like...
1: <laughs> see-through sky guy the, with a it, ponytail it was, it was all party in the back for simon that is
0: next level perversion man yeah the drama here was palpable he had a van
1: he had a van out
0: back and he wanted you to get in it oh big time the drama here was palpable and wolfman wanted everyone to know that he knew what it was like to be the teenage daughter <laughs> of the four-eyed devil with cute little baby deer horns trigon is such a weird villain for this team but I kind of liked that he just completely kicked the crap out of him in this issue. One day, I promise, I am going to sit down. I'm going to read this entire run. But for now, Trigon's first full appearance gets a skim it. And Trigon is a demon, pretty weak.
1: (laughs) He's weak, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Look, I have a confession to make. The new Teen Titans by Wolfman and Perez is one of the most important comic book runs of the early 80s. I get it. I love it. It's got a lot of dumb shit in it. It's not great because, like, I'm thinking. And of the X-Men. I don't think Trigon is that cool. No, I, I think that's I have the, never thought Trigon
0: is that cool. There was always people that compared this run to the X Men of the '80s, and they're like, "This was like DC's X Men." It X-Men. was the number one. It was the number one highest selling comic of the day, right? And which, and so was the X Men. That doesn't mean that they're anything like each other. And people keep trying to no, tell no. me that they were. And I love the 80s X-Men. Love it. And even going back, and revisit it. I'll be like, it's a little silly. I still love it. There's still great stuff there. I've read a few issues of this now. None of them have done anything for me.
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess it's similar in terms of like the pathos and the relationship sure. drama. You sure. know, they, they covered a lot of this similar ground. But no, like, no, I, I don't care about Trigon. I don't care about Raven's dad. I yes. don't. I don't. I'm sorry. It makes me a bad DC fan.
0: You know what else I don't care about? Raven. All she does is whine.
1: That's all she does. Yeah. That seems to be her superpowers. Whining. (laughs) Raven. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I don't give a shit about Raven. Yeah,
0: there you go. I'm with you.
1: Joe Patrick. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to give this a skim it. Uh, I love Kurt Swan. But uh, yeah, no, this this issue isn't great. Okay, I really like Kurt Swan, too, but we both
0: agree this isn't great. Kurt Swan. Either, right?
1: Well, it's late in life, Kurt Swan. Uh you know. Uh he would go on, uh I'm
0: not trying to pick on an old guy. I didn't realize he was that old at the time. Yeah, I know.
1: I mean Kurt Swan was drawing Kurt Swan was drawing Superman in like the fifties and sixties. Like okay. he's old. He okay. was old.
0: So that that's like, you know, this wasn't the best Joe Namath I've ever seen, but like, yeah, sure. He
1: was, he was too old to oh, play and football. And it also <laughs> could have been an inking issue because later on, like um, the, the very last post, uh, the very last pre-crisis Superman story, uh, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow was also drawn by Kurt Swan. Right. But I think it was also inked by George Perez.
0: Yeah. Cause it was beautiful. And so it was gorgeous. Yeah.
1: But yeah, now this, this issue, it's not great. Okay. First up for me is Silver Surfer, number three from Marvel. This came from 1968. This issue features the debut of Marvel's most famous fake Satan, Mephisto, yes. the Prince of Lies. Also, no horns. He has no horns, He's but he does have pervert hair. He's got hair horns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, He's got, got, got pervert hair. hair horns. <laughs> Stanley's Purple Prose is on full display here, and it does not disappoint uh, our friend Jack. Uh, our, our old friend Jack Gilreath from uh, the Krypton Comics days, he had a term that he used that he got from an old issue of Daredevil called soul pain. And it is like the definition of the most overly wrought, dramatic uh, comic book dialogue you can think of. And this is soul pain 100%. Mephisto's motivations for wanting to destroy the silver surfer boiled down simply to the fact that someday the surfer might be a problem. His temptations are ridiculous. Oh, you're not interested in riches. You're not interested in choosing to be with your one true love. How about dot dot dot? A threesome. I mean, like, sure, he's a
0: cosmically charged, like, near God, but. Silver <laughs> so server loves bitches, man. Threesome, to threesome, bro.
1: <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> even it's if it's hilarious. two dudes. I'm, even if it's three dudes. Still threesome, I'm in, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious and amazing at the same time. Uh, I loved every page. The art by the legendary John Bushema is outstanding. His figure work is dynamic. The way he frames his pages is exciting and energetic. And for the late 60s, his depiction of Mephisto is downright creepy. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, too, because it's like,
0: this is obviously the devil, but they didn't want to call it Satan because they're like, we don't want to get in trouble. So we'll just do everything short. Literally, we'll walk right right up
1: to the line. Like the word satanic is actually in the script of this issue. Yes. (laughs) Uh, my my favorite fun fact about Mephisto is that uh, in the original series of Marvel Universe trading cards from 1990, there was a Mephisto trading card. Yeah. Why? I, I could not tell you. I remember this. But the back of every card had a little digital you know factoid. And the factoid was Mephisto has not and has is not and has never claimed to be the actual b- biblical devil. Yeah. In an effort to appease parents. Totally. Of which mine was were among them yeah. they found that card and they're like what the fuck is this
0: yeah, joe this was dear- and I said look at it it says right there he's not the devil dear karen we promise this is not the devil sincerely right. marvel but, he, but it's totally the devil
1: silver surfer number three is a great introduction to one of marvel's most enduring villains i'm giving this a huge buy it don't get me wrong it's outlandish oh it's crazy it's, it's so silly it's completely but crazy in, the very best way.
0: Yeah, and, and considering the fact that they they are basically making the devil a supervillain in this. That is like not just yeah, they the devil him into a cosmic being. He, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. He's not just the devil, he's not just a guy with a pitchfork that like collects souls and stuff. Yeah, he also fucks with cosmic entities. <laughs> yeah. He's like a galactus. And this is also at that time where the silver surfer all he did was cry about his girlfriend Shala Ball, Shala Ball, and he couldn't yeah, call so he her. Was, he couldn't call her Shala. He couldn't call her S. He no, couldn't no, call her full name. It's like pay. it's like I always call you Matt Bomb. Yeah, you it's know? like it's like I, I don't ever just constantly say Matt. Was I like, say Matt Bomb. Like, my
1: wife Casey Bomb. Casey Bomb. How I love you, Casey Bomb. <laughs> right, like, come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this this t- this came out during a time when the Silver Surfer was trapped on Earth, right? Uh For uh betraying Galactus in the original story that he appeared in. Yeah, so he's so like, like slightly he was, depowered but he's still crazy powerful. Cuz there's like a crazy mo- powerful. He like shuts down all he, he shuts, shuts down all electric he shuts down the whole systems
0: earth. on earth. Right. So like everybody that's on life support in the hospital dies. Sorry. You're de- you're dead. <laughs>
1: <Basically>, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and the Silver Surfer is like, "You want to fuck with
1: me? This is what you get." And it's like, "Well, you're the good guy." Take it easy, man. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I, I was halfway through this and I'm like, damn, Silver Surfer is the villain of but this story. But that was also the interesting part. It's like the devil sees this and they're like, what? he's like,
0: whoa, wait a minute. I got to get in on this guy. This guy's crazy powerful and yeah, maybe yeah. he's evil.
1: <laughs> For sure.
0: No, it was great. It was a fun, weird 60s psychedelic, you know, like mind fuck. <laughs> it was good stuff. I'm giving it a buy. Yeah, yeah. My next review is of Ghost Rider number 77 from Marvel, 1983. This is the origin of Xerathos. It was written by a young spry, James DeMatteis, with art by Bob Badansky. Now, in the previous issue, we had just learned that the, the identity of the demon that is the Ghost Rider, Zarathos. It turns out Z was a stone god. He was discovered and worshipped by an ancient race of man, like, way back. So, I mean, like, Conan times, maybe. We don't even know. Way back, though. kind of looked like Pumpkinhead meets Venom. Xerathil's main jam is destroying souls, which gets the attention of Mephisto, who collect souls so this guy's bad for business right and you could probably guess what happens there they end up button heads meanwhile johnny blaze is on the trail of his magic buddy vincenzo who wears a turban and that's all i really know about him there's something about the circus of crime maybe going on i i'm not really sure but we don't need to worry about that here we flash back to Zerathos. subplot
1: subplot not freaking not
0: important. yeah Zarathos wreaking havoc on this city that he made his followers build where people are sacrificing people to him. And there's this young brave tribesman that's like, you're not taking my girl. And he he found like the sweetest virgin there. And it's like, yeah, I'm gonna destroy this girl's soul. And brave tribesman guy stands up to Zarathos and Mephisto empowers him just for a minute. Gives him the power to stand up to Zarathos. And in that moment, all of his worshippers are like, wait a minute. This guy isn't that badass. If some kid can get up there and stop him. And we learn that Zarathos only gets his power from his believers. And it's at like that. Like Gladiator. Right. At that point, he's banished to hell. Mephisto takes him, like, nice friggin' try. You work for me now. You are going to ride the earth as the ghost rider collecting souls forever. <laughs> and it's like in this two issues. J.M. DeMatteis took was essentially a completely unfleshed out idea. All we knew about the Ghost Rider was he was a flaming head, motorcycle jacket. We knew he was possessed by a demon. Possessed by a demon, drove around a motorcycle, yeah, and captured souls. That's all we knew. J.M. DeMatteis created the entire backstory for this character, and it was so fun. Well,
1: and the most wild part about it is that Ghost Rider ended with issue 81. So this was, like, at the last second, at the buzzer. Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah, this was
0: definitely a last ditch where they were like, do whatever you want. We don't care. Yeah. The the book's not selling well. Do whatever you want. He came up with a fantastic idea. And, like, Xerathos would go on to do a lot of really dumb shit later on. <laughs> when, yeah. we, when we get into, like, the Midnight Sun stuff and whatnot. And I, I'm not going to worry about that. But I... Love this story. Dematius was working so hard to create a larger world for Ghost Rider, connecting him to demons and devils that have been fighting since the dawn of creation. The script is pre-80s satanic panic heavy metal with demons and devils torturing man for their own games. The story sets up so much of Ghost Rider's tragic character and nightmare even shows up in the end. I loved this. But Dansky's art is great. He's still kind of doing the house Jack Kirby thing, but it's more the Barry Windsor Smith kind of house Jack Kirby thing. It's really impressive. The colors glow in the dark. This was just bonkers fun, and I completely loved it. I had never read this before, and I have a new respect. I love Ghost Rider, and we're going to talk about him later, but I love Danny Ketch, Ghost Rider, because that's the one that I met first. I'm giving this a buy it. I have a new respect for the Johnny Blaze stuff, and I want to read Dematis' entire run, no doubt.
1: Yes, uh, so I have very fond memories of this issue. In the '90s, there was a series called "The Original Ghost Rider Rides Again." Oh yeah, and it was a reprint series of the Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider, but like not all of it because it didn't last that long. And so one of the issues they reprinted was this one and my cousin had it and I like was obsessed with it. Uh, So yeah, I, I love Zarathos. Um, Bob Budiansky has always been great. J.M. DiMatteis is one of my favorite writers. This is just, this issue is a knockout for, for something, for something that came at a time when they must have seen the writing on the wall for the title. Oh, absolutely. For them to just be like, yeah, here's a complete backstory for this character that we just ignored up until right. now.
0: And this was kind of near the end of all those horror books where they're like, eh, none of them are really selling anymore. Yeah. Ghost Rider uh, was probably the highest selling, too.
1: I, I imagine, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is tons of fun. It's a buy it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a great run. My next review is of The Demon, annual number two from DC from 1993. Garth Ennis and John McRae introduce one of my favorite DC characters of the mid-90s, Tommy Monahan, a.k.a. Hitman, in this issue. Of course, it's also a Bloodlines crossover issue, (laughs) which (laughs) means not only do we get Etrigan the Demon running around Gotham City killing mobsters, but we also have a giant corpulent alien parasite named Glomph, sucking the spinal fluid out of his victims after announcing his name upon entering every room. So he's like, like, literally. Walks in and like, check it out. This here." I <laughs> am GLONT. <glamped." laughs> he's like Steve Holt. <laughs> yes, he is. He's the Steve Holt of bloodlines. Uh, Ennis's script is over the top. Hilarious. Uh, my favorite part is how Etrigan himself is aware that he's being pretty dodgy with his rhyming. Like, You can tell that Ennis was already planning for Tommy to spin off into his own series in this issue. Uh, He sets up a lot of elements that will carry over into the hitman ongoing in a year or two. Uh, The art by a much younger John McRae is super fun with his outrageous violence and super exaggerated characters. This isn't an introduction to the demon or his origin story, but it is a great example of the character just doing what the character is known to do, which is act as an agent of chaos that follows his own agenda. One thing I did notice, though, is that this issue is not approved by the Comics Code Authority, uh, which seems pretty unusual for the time. However, that really has nothing to do with the Demon Annual 2 in particular, which I thought was delightful and it gets a huge buyout.
0: Yeah, this is a crazy fun book. It, it's probably not
1: the best introduction to the demon but it no but that's not what i like right that that wasn't how i went about choosing my books of course
0: but it is garth ennis having a lot of fun with the demon which is fine because at the time like the demon was doing nothing who cares and and quite honestly jack kirby's the demon is wackadoo (laughs) it is completely bizarre i hated this character i've hated the demon for years and years and years and then I think it was Jason at legend made me buy the complete Jack Kirby demon. And he said, take I it home, cover. read it. If you don't like it, bring it back full price. That I'll let you exchange it for whatever you want. I fucking loved it. Cause it was so wacky and just bizarre. And I had this newfound love for the character and you can tell that Garth Ennis truly loves this character as well and got to play with it and have a good time and introduce Tommy Monaghan. It's a huge buy for me. Bloodlines was a piece of shit. <laughs> and it was just it's dumb. terrible yeah no well, it it's like awful garbage and you can yeah. tell that i don't think garth ennis was thrilled to be doing this but was allowed to have fun it was like it. he
1: was making fun of it the whole time he
0: definitely was it was very tongue-in-cheek uh, and he was going to spin his hitman out of it and if this is how he gets to start it fine here we go
1: fun fact and i can't believe this but the run of the demon that had this uh, little batch by ennis and mcrae Lasted for 58 issues.
0: Good Lord. And I'll bet it was just...
1: Oh, Almost five years. I bet it was a
0: slog. <laughs> I bet it was just impenetrable uh, rhyme after
1: rhyme after uh, rhyme. Like, uh, I mean, I, <laughs> Stop! <laughs> I've never read the early issues, but Woo. I'm not, like, in, in a rush. I'm willing to bet it was crap, but <laughs> I'm also willing to give it a try,
0: so... My next review is of Daredevil, number 270 from Marvel, 1989. This is the first appearance of the son of Mephisto. Your creative team was Ann Ascenti writing with art by John Romita Jr. This is one of my favorite runs of Daredevil. And I don't think Ann Ascenti went on to write anything that I ever cared about again. I can't explain it, but she absolutely... Before or since. Yeah, like literally... I can't explain it, but she dominated this run, and it was just incredible. And then every time I saw her name on something, I'm like, I'm buying that. And then I read it and was like, I'm going to set that down. Anyway, in, in 1658, a senseless murder takes place on an unassuming hill, and evil begins to grow there slowly for years. More and more tragedy is drawn to the hill, and twisted black roses start to grow, until one day, in 1989, a guy that doesn't understand consent pushes things a little too far with an innocent lady, and Blackheart is born, complete with weird kind of like flower head. <laughs> <laughs> the script takes a big jump after that, finds DD working out on a roller coaster for Reasons, I'm sure, when Blackheart attacks and DD only escapes with the help of Spider-Man. Now, this was coming right off the heels of Inferno and the Typhoid Mary storyline. So Anacenti had run Daredevil through the ringer. Yeah. Like Typhoid Mary almost killed him, left him in the hospital. Yes. Inferno hit Manhattan. Demons are everywhere. He fought a vacuum. Daredevil. Gets out of a hospital bed covered in bandages and just like an automaton goes out and fights demons. He fights a vacuum. He fights a possessed subway car. It's incredible. It's one of my favorite issues of Daredevil. Absolutely amazing. And this issue opens with him like, whoo, glad that's all over. I I think Daredevil might even be able to smile again. That would be cool. Why he's on an amusement park roller coaster. uh, I don't know. (laughs) It's not important. (laughs) He's blind. He don't know no better. Yeah. So they really forced this into the storyline and it didn't have much to do with anything other than the fact that I think Anasenti wanted to go very psychological, supernatural with the character because people hadn't really done that with Daredevil before. This was John Romita Jr., by the way, at his best. He's absolutely so good. Crazy. This is where I first fell in love with the guy. The whole issue is beautiful. Weird line work bulky shoulders, strange poses and shit. But even today it still totally holds up Mephisto with dreads and sad, confused baby demon son fighting because it's all he knows how to do. It's so emo soul pain. If you will. I love this character. I love this issue and Blackheart will pop up a few more times to fight daredevil as well. I'm giving it a buy it.
1: Yeah. I mean, like you said, this is a great run on daredevil. Um, I don't. I don't want to bag on NSNT. I don't know what her deal is, but like she killed it with her short-lived run. And John Romita Jr. This is probably the best he's ever looked.
0: It's my favorite Daredevil. He is my favorite Daredevil artist.
1: And I absolutely yeah, I love this
0: run. Uh, this is a great issue. It's not a Black great story. Heart- it really isn't. It's it's kind of a dumb story. Like well, sure. Spider Man's on a bus driving home. He's like, "What's going on over there?" And like, "Oh, it just so happens,
1: something's going on at the carnival, and Daredevil's there." <laughs> That's how it works, man. I guess. <laughs> no, this is a buy it. It's great fun. A Blackheart is a fun, cheesy villain. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure how or why he's the son of Mephisto, considering
0: his origin. But whatever. Well, they explain it later on. We we learn more about it. Like Mephisto wanted an agent on Earth to look like a man and walk around and report back, and Blackheart doesn't want to do that, and it's a it's a whole family thing. Oh, you man. can't
1: tell me what to do, Dad. Totally,
0: yeah. It's like, yeah. guess what? You're the devil. Don't make a fucking teenager, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, man.
1: <laughs> Next up for me, JLA number six from DC, nineteen ninety seven. Long time listeners of the show will remember how fondly I speak of Grant Morrison and Howard Porter's run on JLA. This issue features the debut of Zoriel, an angel that has chosen to abdicate his position in favor of mortality because he's in love. Oh, God! It just <laughs> so happens that he's being followed by a host of rebelling angels set on conquering heaven. What does this have to do with demons? You may ask Well, it's all set in motion by the machinations of DC's sexiest fake Satan, Neron. He is the worst. (laughs) He's He's blonde and gorgeous.
0: There's nothing
1: Uh, Satan about the guy. (laughs) And of course, the Demons 3, which are classic JLA villains. Morrison packs more character into two pages at a time than any writer with half of his skill. This storyline single-handedly justifies the existence of electric blue Superman, though that mostly does happen. Next issue. There's a little bit of it here. Howard Porter's art is otherworldly. I don't know when he first came on the scene, but JLA was my first exposure to his work. The way he depicts even the simplest things is incredible. His attention to detail is beyond impressive. For example, Neron pouring a glass of what looks like blood or wine down his gullet, but the droplets are shaped like people that like that little, that little bitty detail. I was like, Holy shit. That's awesome. This was also one of the most chilling descriptions of hell I've ever read with it existing in the, in between, it surrounds us between the folds of the drapes or the leaves and a bouquet of flowers or in the darkness cast by the most innocent shadow. It's in all the gaps and in the corners but as Morrison writes, don't look too closely. Ooh. <laughs> J- JLA number six is one of the first comic books I point to when someone says the 90s were terrible. Yeah, we did have a bad run there at the beginning, but a run like this can almost single handedly redeem an entire decade. JLA number six gets a buy it.
0: Yeah, I hate Neron. I hate Neron. I and I really, hate, I love Neron. And I hate Zoriel. I hate the idea of angels being superheroes no. and crap like that. I hate it. With that said, I love this story. I love what Grant Morrison did with the character. I know what they were going for with Neron. Like Mark Wade invented created Neron, and the idea was like despotic Roman emperor, evil type character. I get it.
1: Yes, he's Nero with it, an N.
0: Exactly. And I just never cared. And maybe at the time, they didn't want a Mephisto-type character, and this was their way to do that, and a a ruler of the underworld. I almost reviewed Underworld Unleashed, because I wanted to learn more about Neuron. I read the first one and went, I don't want to learn any more about Neuron. This sucks. (laughs) So I see Mark Wade work, and I don't care about the character. This is a wonderful story, though. And it's Grant Morrison and Howard Porter on JLA in the nineties. I don't think the JLA has ever been this good. And I don't think it'll ever be this good again, quite honestly. So it gets a huge buy it. It just goes to show that in the hands of the right creators, any character can be written. Well, any character, this is awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I like I, I, when I think back about various runs of the justice league, like I am a fan, uh, obviously the, um, Keith Giffen, D Mateus, 80s reboot is wonderful. Yeah, uh, I'm a I'm a it's big fan, not fan this, of the classic run. It's not this quality though. It just no is. no no. Uh, I'm a big fan of the classic like late 70s early 80s. Uh, Dick Dylan was the artist, you know, and that was when it was like that. W- that was the that was the last time, honestly. Before this, that the JLA was the All Stars. It was Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, and. Then I think about this, and I, and I admit to myself, this is the best version, the best executed version of the Justice League probably ever. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I,
0: I, yeah. I, there, it's not even close. I'm sorry. It's, it's just not even close. And it yeah. wasn't just because, like, they were the smiling sweet, ch- no, they were in trouble all the time, and they were fighting yeah. with each other, and Batman was an asshole, and Grant Morrison yes. was dealing with all these really Dumb editorial decisions that were happening with Batman, with Superman, with Aquaman. And he just took it in stride. He rolled with it. Rolled with it and made an incredible run on the JLA. Love it. Totally agree. My next review is of Sandman Presents Lucifer, number one from DC Vertigo from 1999. This was written by Mike Carey with art by Scott Hampton. This spins right out of the pages of Sandman number four, where Lucifer Morningstar gets bored of ruling hell and just kind of gives the key to dream and says, all yours, I don't care anymore. (laughs) Now he finds himself running a bar called Lux in downtown LA. In this first issue, Lucifer is visited by another fallen angel investigating something that is granting wishes for humans that heaven isn't interested in investigating, but they kind of want to check it out. They just don't want to do it themselves. So, hey, Lucifer's on Earth. Make him do it. The power seems to be centered around a special needs young adult whose sister may have just wished death upon him. Mike Carey's Lucifer series is one of the most intelligent, challenging, underappreciated Vertigo series ever. He took an idea from Game and Sandman and fleshed the character out into an anthropologist that studied the human condition as it encounters the supernatural. Scott Hampton's watercolors are just incredible and heartbreaking in some panels. Reading this made me want to revisit this entire series for a third time. I cannot say enough about how wonderful this series is. The first omnibus is out, and the second Lucifer omnibus actually comes out next week. If you haven't read this, you need to. It is so much better than the watered-down garbage TV version that we got. I cannot give this a bigger buy it. This is one of my all time favorite series and the way the gentle way that they write Lucifer, the fallen angel, Lucifer, Satan. Yeah. He's so approachable and interesting and still evil, still very much evil, but also not necessarily the bad guy that uh you know
1: upstairs sort of painted him
0: (laughs) it's just a wonderful book
1: yeah no i totally agree this is peak vertigo you know oh yeah you know neil gaiman created this version of lucifer and in in the one or two issues he appeared in he was already like multifaceted and and very complex as a character and mike carey just took that and expanded on it in a really great way um this isn't even the ongoing, which would become what, what's best known right. this is uh, with art by Peter Gross. That
0: introduces the ongoing.
1: Yeah. Um, so, like, this is a this is an awesome primer to the character. It's definitely a buy it from me. It's, it's just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to look at.
0: You know, and, like, we, we talk about Vertigo a lot and how intelligent it is. I, I think a lot of people wrote a lot of really great stuff at Vertigo, but I can't imagine how difficult it is to have a writer like Neil Gaiman come to you and say, Hey Mike.
1: Yeah. Right. Should.
0: Do you want to write this?
1: Like how do you follow how do you, have how, do you how do you spin off Sandman? Right. You know, like
0: let's do <laughs> it. Right. Let's do a spin off of Sandman. It's one thing to be like, oh yeah, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. It writes itself. He's always taking pictures, you know? Like <laughs> But this is yeah. Neil Gaiman's fucking Sandman. That's gotta be intimidating. And, and Carrie knocked this one out of the park. It, it's an incredible series.
1: Totally agree. All right, finishing up, it's Killer of Demons number 1 from Image Comics 2003. Hell has invaded Earth, and only one man can stop it. Junior account executive Dave Sloan. (laughs) With an angel at his side, Dave can see the demons that have infiltrated our world, and they all have to die. But these quote-unquote demons are mostly Dave's co-workers at the office or people that annoy him in some way, leading Dave to believe that he's gone totally insane. Christopher Yost and Atomic Robo's Scott Wegener join forces for this Image Comics Mini from the late 2000s. Dave is a low-level corporate drone who just happens to be the chosen one, heaven's hand killer of demons. But is he really? Or is he just crazy? <laughs> Yost plays fast and loose with reality here, questioning Dave's mental state at every turn. Sure, he sees demons everywhere he looks, but are they real? And I'm not even sure we ever get a real clear answer about that. Meanwhile, a surly diaper wearing angel named Uriel goads Dave into committing full blown murder in broad daylight. (laughs) I really miss Christopher Yost. That guy came off a successful run on a cult favorite Marvel cartoon and ended up writing a lot of great comics. But then he got sucked into the Marvel Studios machine where I guess he found some success writing some of our favorite Marvel movies, Star Wars cartoons, and spinoff shows. Oh, poor guy.
0: You're mad. Don't you let made the door hit money. you where the
1: good Lord split <laughs> you, Chris. <laughs> Killer of Demons comes just two years after the debut of Atomic Robo, and Robo's main artist, Scott Wegener, delivers some pretty great work here. Super cartoony and exaggerated. Killer of Demons is definitely an under-the-radar gem by a couple of talented pros. This is from an era, like, you must, you have to remember, 2009, no, Walking Dead was still going, was going pretty strong by then.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It, it was 2009, not 2003, I'm sorry, that was a typo earlier. Um, But, you know, there's not a lot of, there aren't a lot of image books from that era that people really think of anymore, you know what I'm saying? Well, They're like. It's all about Walking Dead
0: and Invincible and. Yes and no. They they had hits with Walking Dead and Invincible and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden, everybody got a shot, and I think we got a glut of these books. And, yes, I agree. We did get a glut, and that's why they're not very memorable because there were so goddamn many. This is at a point hard to keep track. Yeah, everything was getting optioned for TV shows. Literally everything, TV show or a movie, no matter what it was. So it's like boom, TV. That's that, that's getting TV. You're getting TV show, and. I think this just kind of got lost in that. This is a great read and it's super fun. It's yeah. what if Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a nerd who might be insane? <laughs>
1: right, <yeah. laughs> you know? It's a ton of fun. It's a buy it for sure.
0: Yeah. It's a buy it for me as well. And I, I questioned Joe on actually reading this. It was like, Hey, maybe we should do something like the demon. We recognize, I'm really glad I read this. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, I, Chris Rios is one of those guys looking back. I can't believe how much of his stuff that I really enjoyed and he's one of those like, where did that guy go? Well, you know where he went? He's like producing stuff now and making real money. He doesn't have to do yeah, this bullshit. He's a big He's a Hollywood big shot. Yeah. <laughs> so good for him. I'm not gonna yeah, fault him true. for not you know like, you should be toiling in the mud and the blood for the rest of your life, you son yeah, of a bitch. Yeah, where's my killer of demons <laughs> sequel? <laughs> god damn it. <laughs> no, this was great. I I had pitched Joe doing the first uh violator appearance actually from Spawn. Because no, like thank that you. could be fun. And right after I pitched it, I read it. Oh my god. It's so bad. I'm so glad we didn't do it. It's so stupid. Yeah. No. No, thank you. <laughs> Huge buy it from me.
1: All right. So which book wins, Matt? You demand we turn everything into a goddamn contest. So what's your book of the week?
0: Uh my favorite demon book we read was Lucifer. And it's not close. Just revisiting this stuff. I I'm not gonna gush about it anymore. It's one of my all time favorite comic book series, so it wasn't fair. <laughs> like it wasn't fair to the sure, other ones sure. you know
1: um, so i'm actually going to swerve a little bit and give it to silver surfer because i had so much fun reading it it was fun it was definitely it's, it's a blast and
0: mephisto is fun we're we're going to talk about our top 5 devils and demons later yeah and we'll get into it then but it, mephisto is fun i've always yes. thought that character is fun and stupid and i've never we'll He's talk about it so him. cheesy yeah, that's my, that's my main bitch with him. He's so fucking cheesy. I've never been scared of Mephisto. <laughs> <laughs> Whack! That does it for reviews this weekend. Whack! Is the sound of Etrigan smacking glomph in the face with the dead body of his own victim, as seen in the pages of The Demon Annual 2. This onomatopoeia comes courtesy of Mr. Joe Patrick. If you or tired of listening to us do this, you can submit your own onomatopoeia of the week, post it to any of our social media accounts. Send it to us, twoeditnerd, gmail.com. Better yet, call us, 402-819-4894. Make the noise. Tell us where it came from, and we will
1: play it on the show. Reviews are done, and now it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we're taking a short break from our regular satanic programming by talking about our slightly less evil must read picks for next week. Matt, what do you got?
0: My pick for next week is Crossover, number one from Image. It's written by Donnie Cates with illustrator D. Kunifee. Cover. I'm pretty sure but, it's just
1: Kunifee, kind of, but all right.
0: Yeah, but I like D. Kunifee because it rhymes. With cover illustrator Jeff Shaw, it's 36 pages, it's three ninety-nine. That's a steal, man. Here's your solicit. Yeah. The creative powerhouses behind best selling, critically acclaimed God Country! Thanos wins and Redneck! You can tell they're really rooting for the home team here. <laughs> returns for the biggest launch of the year! Imagine everything you thought was fantasy was real! And now join us in a world where reality is dead and anything is possible. Okay, so that solicit doesn't tell you shit. Now, the preview is really, really good, and D. Kniff is a fucking fantastic artist. Donnie Cates can write whatever he wants at this point, and I'm in. I don't care. He's that good, and they are so adorably excited for this project on Twitter and Facebook. They, they're losing their minds. They're so excited. So I am excited to read it. I'm excited to review it, and I'm excited to pump it up because it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. These are great creators.
1: Yeah. uh, There's a lot of buzz behind this. I think it is uh, going to be a ton of fun. I'm a big fan of Donnie Cates. This should be a slam dunk.
0: Yeah. It looks very meta. Like if you're a comics fan, you're going to pick up on what they're laying down, what they're making fun of. You're going to have fun with this one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My pick for next week is Sweet Tooth. The return number one from DC's black label. It's written and drawn by Jeff Lemire. It's thirty two pages for three ninety nine, and here is your solicit. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Gus. He had antlers, and he lived with his father in a little cabin in the woods. Hey, you know what? I'm gonna just say this right now. Gus's antlers scarier than Trigon. Yeah,
0: definitely bigger too. Yeah, <laughs> that's ridiculous.
1: And he was a kid. He was like ten. Yeah. <laughs> Then his father died, and the big man with cold eyes took Gus away. Gus went on many great adventures, found friends, love, happiness, family, and acceptance. Now, years later, it begins again. A young boy with antlers and deer-like features wakes in a bizarre and completely foreign world where the last humans struggle to survive. They tell the boy he's special, he's chosen, and that he alone can lead them back to a world dominated by the oppressive hybrids. Sweet Tooth. The Return is no rehash of the original, but rather a bold reimagining oh, of the Sweet Tooth mythology, taking elements of the original series and remixing them into something familiar but totally new. And a it's a black world. label,
0: so more dicks.
1: Tons of dicks. <laughs> a div- Dear dicks, a divided world, a planet long ago past the point of devastation, and at the center of it all, a child who didn't ask to be born into any of this but who has no choice but to try and forge some life for himself. His visions and dreams may not be real at all. They may just be fiction, but they are hope. And sometimes hope is enough. Uh, You know what? Gosh, I had not read the solicit before this. I did not realize it was not a sequel. This just sounds like. It's going to be weird. It's
0: like, what if Sweet Tooth Edition? Well, it's not just, there could be more to it than that. I read an interview with Jeff Lemire. We have no idea. What he's going to give us here. And yeah. it's going to get weird. And I don't think it's just a reimagining. I think there's even more than that going on here. Layers. Jeff Lemire is a fucking crazy person. And he is not afraid to do fucking crazy shit in his comics. <laughs> and I think this is going to be everything that you loved about the first Sweet Tooth, the tears, the horror. The shit that shit like moments where you don't want to turn the page. You're so afraid something bad is going to happen to these sweet little animal people. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going to turn it on its head. I think this is going to be incredible. I'm super excited. Super excited. The THN trade of the week goes to hard time. The complete series trade paperback from DC comics written by Steve Gerber with art by Brian hurt. Four hundred and sixty four pages for thirty nine ninety nine. Now, Holy cow. this is probably being printed for maybe a hundred people in the United States. And you and I are two of them. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, of, the, of the little mini imprint that Hard Time came out of, Hard Time was by far the most successful of them.
0: And certainly the only one that's been in print since. <laughs> so, Correct, yes. Let alone again. Here's your right. solicit. From Steve Gerber, the late creator of subversive classics like Howard the Duck. Hard time is one of the most unique creations. Okay, that's a weird sentence. What what was supposed to be a stupid prank ends up costing four students their lives. And 15-year-old Ethan Harrow, his future. And 15-year-old Ethan Harrow, his future. But something powerful has been growing within Ethan. And now, it's escaped. When Ethan and Brandon agreed to prank the jocks at school, Ethan thought they would get a laugh. When Brandon goes over the edge, Ethan manifests some metaphysical force that kills his friend. The results of the trial are swift and severe, and the judge sentences Ethan to 50 years in prison. Will this powerful force living inside Ethan end up being a source of power, a chance at redemption, or the cruelest of curses? And is there anyone who can help him control it? This collects Hard Time number one through 12 and Hard Time season two, number one through seven. Hard Time was one of those completely unexpected surprises out of a stupid imprint. I'm just going to call it. It was dumb.
1: No, it wasn't a stupid, like the idea, I don't remember the name of the imprint, uh, but the idea was basically like, what if... Superhuman elements manifested themselves in the real world. Right. Uh, so DC it was like a, uh, Focus. like a world just like ours. It was called DC Focus. Focus. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, and like a lot of the books were great, but Hard Time was the best by far. I don't remember anything
0: good coming out. Of- Hard Time, Kinetic Fraction, and Touch. So
1: Fraction was like a group of friends found. <laughs> What was essentially a suit of Iron Man armor, yeah, but okay. they couldn't decide who got to keep it. And so they all had one piece. <laughs>
0: right. They all had a fraction of the armor, if you. Yeah, will. get it? Yeah. Who was that? Uh, David Tishman.
1: David Tishman and okay. Timothy Green. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I barely remember these. I remember Hard Time was the only one that I cared about and the only one that sold as well. And I feel like yeah, it was Hard Fo-
1: Time obviously was the most successful. Was Focus a fifth week thing? No, no, first, it was it, it was an it was an imprint, okay and it, it lasted imprint. you know a year.
0: hard time was one of those things that like I don't think anybody expected Steve Gerber, a guy like Steve Gerber, to write this because he's always been so tied to like comedy Howard the Duck is what he's most famous for, and whenever they had something kind of funny and tongue in cheek, you go to Steve Gerber. this was not that at all. This was pretty intense, really well written and beautifully illustrated by the way brian hurt does an incredible job on this
1: yeah brian hurt brian hurt would go on to draw the sixth gun yeah uh you might know him from that or the damned early brian hurt here and it's still great yeah no i love it of course we want to hear about your comic picks for next week and how badly we've upset your religious sensibilities and covered it covered is the perfect place to do it Also, be sure to add these comics to your pull list so you can play along and do your local comic shop a favor, too. One, two, three, four, five. Breakdown, baby.
0: Joe, we talked about some demons. We talked about some devils. All appearing in comics. But now, it's time to talk about the characters themselves. Let's get into it. It It's time for another THN Top 5. And this time, the categories is Demons and Devils! Let's talk about our Top 5 demons
1: and devils do you
0: want to get started so
1: so spooky yeah well i'm just going to kick it right off then my number five is blue devil a dc character uh his name is dan cassidy uh originally he was a stunt man he was a hollywood stunt man uh who got trapped in a very elaborate electronic demon suit it was basically like a special effect right and so, yeah, he got stuck inside of it by a demon. Let's like just, he,
0: he, Can we talk about that for a second?
1: It, <laughs> like, you know, it's, like, it's not important. Like, how does it pee and poop? We don't need to think no, about no, no, it. No, 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 I'm not
0: talking about that. I'm just like, this, this is like, think about like, what if the guy that played the Predator got stuck in the Predator costume. Right. And turned into the
1: Predator. <laughs> and then he joined the Justice League. Right, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> Uh, he was created by uh, Gary Cohn and Dan Mishkin in 1984. His first appearance is blue devil number one. And uh, yeah, he's goofy. He looks like a pirate. Oh yeah. uh, With big old horns. He's got a trident and much later on, even though he was just a man, much later on, he makes a deal with Neron. And as a result, becomes a for real demon yep
0: it happens i mean you're already uh, like the part right i mean like it's same thing happened to killer croc like later on it's like they're like yeah, Fuck right. it, yeah you're a I... crocodile
1: <laughs> yeah i mean you were just a guy with a skin condition but yeah. no now you're a monster um so yes uh yeah he uh he he dies and he comes back as a demon he dies again uh in the pages of starman uh, at the hands of the mist, yeah. uh, that death does not stick. And, uh, he comes back from time to time. Occasionally he had some, didn't they bring him back appearances. in appearances?
0: He was dead for a long time. They were like brought him back in like shadow packed, right?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know how long he stayed dead, but he was in the justice league of America title that came right before Grant Morrison relaunched it. So yeah. And then, uh, yeah, they, and the mist murders him.
0: Like goes and kills the that and Justice she, League. She puts holy water
1: in the sprinklers of the yeah. museum, and he turns into a skeleton. She kills that Justice
0: League, basically. Uh,
1: it's uh yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how long he. I don't know how long he died, but he did make an appearance. He made an appearance.
0: I love that comics Let's are see. like a great place where you can say things like, "I don't know how long he died."
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. He had some appearances in the New Fifty Two. Nothing to write home about. But yeah, I love the Blue Devil. He's stupid. He's got a goofy outfit, and that's what I love most about him. So, it's because, I love that he's goofy and stupid. If we're going
0: to read Blue Devil, what do we read? Like, what, like where do we go?
1: I mean, I like the original series. I think it's totally fun. I It's underrated, for sure. An underrated late, uh, early, uh, mid-'80s DC property. I think Day of Judgment is a great event.
0: Yeah, it was fun. Uh, if
1: you want to read his comeback. Uh, and that issue of Starman... Where the mist kills him is incredible.
0: Yeah, it is really good. And I'll put all these in the notes so we can have them in our required reading for you guys, just so you know. My number five goes to Saim. That's S apostrophe YM. Saim, or we'll just call him Sim because it's easier to say, is the purple sunglasses wearing cigar smoking demon that just happens to live in Limbo. In fact, he's the king of Limbo and he sort of dresses like Razor Ramon from the WWF. He's <laughs> got a leather <laughs> like vest and he wears like a little leather loincloth thing. Sim was used to be the ruler of Limbo until Magic from the New Mutants came in and sort of took over. Magic's powers allowed her to use a sword to open a portal to Limbo or Otherworld, as it would later be called. There's all kinds of other demons there, too. The Nastrith came from there. Sim used to serve under Belasco for a while before he got his job taking care of Limbo. Later on, Sim and Nastrith took in one Madeline Pryor, who happened to be a clone of Gene Gray and became the Goblin Queen at that point and invaded Manhattan in a little X Men event that we call inferno it was my first taste of sim i'd never seen this character before i was neck deep in the x-men at the time and i fell in love with this crap and i also love the new mutant stuff but they hadn't really leaned into sim as much quite yet until leading up to inferno and man The character himself was just great because he wasn't really a good guy. He wasn't a bad guy. He just sort of served whoever was in charge at the time. And Madeline got really, really powerful. So he was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's invade Manhattan, baby. I'm with (laughs) you. He's not a great character by any means, but he is a very fun character. And if you're going to read anything, I would highly suggest reading the X-Men Inferno event, not just because Sim is in it, but because it is such a fun, ridiculous X-Men event. And it really ties them into the supernatural really well. It plays on Magic a lot, who's one of my favorite new mutants. Sim is just a great character. He's a ridiculous demon. And we haven't seen him for a very long time. In fact, I don't remember the last time I've seen that character.
1: No, I have no
0: idea. I love him so much. He's my number five.
1: My number four goes to Neron. Matt's most hated <laughs> fake satan. God, he sucks. Um, <laughs> Neuron, I like I don't I can't explain why I like him. He looks like uh he looks like a a Fabio. You know, he's got a he's got a sexy blonde mullet. Oh, he's yeah. got a he's got a pointy cape. He wears green for some reason because that's totally what I think of when I think of hell. Sure. I think of the color green. Yeah. And blonde hair. Uh
0: got big shoulder pads he's got like bicep like bracelet things
1: (laughs) yeah yeah he's 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 a beefcake. uh it was uh he was created by oh here we go mark wade and howard porter that i think might be the first time i ever saw howard porter yeah underworld Underworld unleashed yes uh so yeah, he is like he is the Lord of Hell. He does all the things Mephisto does. Uh in, in his most famous storyline Underworld Unleashed, uh he sent a bunch of um basically offer letters uh to various characters of the DC universe, not just heroes, not just villains, but some heroes as well. And it would have this really funky looking candle in it. And if they wanted to talk to Neuron about taking the offer, they'd light the candle and there would be a whole thing. And it's what gave us a lot of it's what gave us a lot of character updates from that uh, mid 90s era. Like Mr. Freeze became like a super powerful. Right. uh, You know, he had a huge armored suit. Like I can't even really remember Mr. Freeze before that. I love Neuron. He's goofy. He's DC's answer to Fisto, and he's way less fun. Yeah. But for some reason, I just, I get a kick out of it every time the guy shows up.
0: And we've already established, if you want to read a great Neuron
1: story. Yep. Underworld Unleashed, uh, the aforementioned JLA storyline that I reviewed earlier in this episode. And that's about it. Yeah,
0: that's all you really need. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, my number four actually went to Blue Devil, so go ahead and jump on your number three. (laughs) Okay, uh, Uh, okay, uh, my number three. The reason I fell in love with Blue Devil is because I got one of those Toys R Us like comic packs, and the Blue Devil comic was in the middle. And I was like, like the front was like Transformers or something cool, and the back was Wolverine or something cool, and the middle was Blue Devil. And I was just like, oh, all right. And I read it and was like, this is awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my number three is Etrigan the Demon, uh, another DC character uh, created by Jack Kirby in the uh, early 1970s, 1972. Uh, he was the. Uh, he was related to Merlin somehow. Was he like Merlin's brother or kid? He was kid summoned or? by Merlin. Was he summoned by he Merlin? Was summoned okay. by Merlin. That's, uh, that's it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's. He's goofy looking. He is, he wears short pants and a Cape and he's got little bracelets. He's got all the things Matt loves. He's got pirate boots. Oh God! He breathes fire and he speaks in rhyme ridiculous. It's ridiculous and stupid. And some writers do it well. And some writers do it very poorly. Uh, I have always loved Etrigan. I, again, I can't tell you why, uh, according to this article he was inspired by uh prince valiant uh the comic strip prince valiant (laughs) uh and there was uh, a lot of there was a lot of weird supernatural shit that went on prince valiant like he was there definitely so he's got yeah bright yellow skin he's got uh kind of bat ears and horns he's he breathes fire he's the real deal he speaks in Uh, rhymes (laughs) he is he is linked uh he is linked to a human man named Jason blood. And there have been times where they have tried to say, where it's like, they've tried to say, Oh, Jason blood's not real. Uh, you know, it's just a construct. You know, you remember the they, they, they yeah. did that shit in the uh, eighties yeah. with Donald Blake. Yeah. Uh, similar, but no, Jason blood is a real person. Uh, he joined the justice league uh, in Joe Kelly's excellent run on the book Uh, on, in JLA. But uh, yeah, he has to say this little poem to turn back and forth between Etrigan and Chase and Blood. It's adorable. And so, yeah, the, the Rhymers are a rank and there was a time that Etrigan got promoted out of it. Yeah. They were like
0: rappers. They're basically like evil rappers. <laughs> and like, if you have the uh, better your flow, the more powerful you were, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, so for a while, Etrigan got promoted out of the rhyming cast and didn't have to talk in rhyme and he did not sound right. Yeah, it sucked.
0: <laughs> now if you're, uh, you're going to read any of this, I would say like you really only need Just to, Jack Kirby. The Jack the Kirby, the complete Jack Kirby Demon. It's f-
1: Oh, and you know, the so Garth much Ennis fun. run on the Demon from the 90s is excellent. Yeah, it it's, is really it's, is it's really good. That is really good. It's goofy
0: and silly as a matter of fact. It's Garth Ennis kind of making fun of the idea, but it's great.
1: Yeah, yeah, but really what you need from etrigan is Jack Kirby's The Demon. There was also um I've never read it, but I've always been intrigued by it. Um Just after Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, Matt Wagner did a four-issue Demon miniseries that looks awesome, but I've never had the chance to read it. I have never read it. I, I, I vaguely remember this, but I don't think I read it,
0: no. My number three goes to the dreaded Dormammu. Dormammu was the scariest fake Satan I have ever seen. So much scarier than Mephisto. He literally just had flame for a head with scary eyes. He's got a purple costume with like red accents. Wears a robe. He is the ruler of the dark dimension. He has a whole legion of mindless ones that work for him. He is Dr. Strange's nemesis. And I first met him in the pages of Dr. Strange, Sorcerer Supreme number one from 1990, pardon me, 1988. Where I picked it up just because the cover was so goddamn cool. <laughs> like the character looked so scary and I needed to learn more. You can still pick these up. The complete Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme omnibus is available and it is wonderful. It collects like one through 40 of the series and like Ghost Rider 12 is in there as well because I think there was a crossover or something stupid. But that yeah. series was so much fun and it literally starts off with the death of Doctor Strange. He's dead. Like issue number one is his funeral, and all the Marvel heroes are there. Like Chuck Xavier has his hand on the on the casket, and it's just like, Bleh. I'm not sure why he's so upset, but apparently Charles and Doctor. They're Sandrick, very good well, friends. Everybody I guess. knows it. <laughs> Dormammu was always so scary. And Dormammu was like a was a demon that talked like a demon. When he showed up, it was really bad. And like they hinted at his existence for years and years and years. Baron Mordo, who was another like sorcerer that grew up with strange, but went evil was tempted by Dormammu and became a disciple of Dormammu and, like, would whisper about him and stuff like that. He was, like, this unnamed bad guy for a long time. And finally, when they introduced him, Doctor Strange was just like, I'm way out of my league and all we can literally do is shut the door to the dark dimension and never, ever go near that place. Can we all agree, fuck Dormammu, we don't want to deal with that (laughs) He is such a fantastic, evil sorcerer character because he's too powerful. He's too powerful for the Sorcerer Supreme, and that's why he was so scary. I love Dormammu so much. Ruler of the Dark
1: Dimension, man. Oh, yeah. My number two is Mephisto. We talked about him earlier in the show. Uh, Marvel Comics, created by Stan Lee and John Buscema. He is Marvel's most popular fake Satan and he is a ridiculous character he is he's over the top he's silly he's flamboyant he's got bed head permanent bed head he's got (laughs) a weird pointy cape Uh, he's uh, sometimes he looks naked Uh, sometimes sometimes he shows up and this may have happened in that Daredevil run we talked about earlier he shows up as this weird fat monstrous looking blob monster yeah uh with like a pointy snout and and weird hair well and i think uh, that is his true
0: form yeah i'm sure i'm and sure it like, must be and when he looks human it's so like you'll talk to him you won't be like ah fuck what the hell are you like yeah. he, he appears I mean, as Adam, like, like
1: he probably could have made him like Maybe take a little page out of the Neuron playbook, my guy. Sure.
0: You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like if Brad Pitt shows up and wants to tempt you, that might be a little better than, I don't right, know. Right, right. Weird, yeah. balding pervert with crazy hair.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, so not every, not every Mephisto story is a winner. He trades in, you know, souls just like the real devil, though he is definitely not the real devil. He also trades in human marriage, human relationships. Yeah, you know, we learned it's, that. It's hell. Brand it's new day. It's Hell's second most popular currency. It's like the Euro of Hell. You you know,
0: Thor uh, did a really good job of establishing Mephisto as like one of the rulers of the underworld. Like Hela and Mephisto do not get along at
1: all. So the Marvel Universe has multiple underworlds. It's got, you know, it's got Hades. It's got Hela's domain. It's got Mephisto's domain. Uh, So there are lots of Hells uh, and, you know, if you're lucky, I guess you get to pick which one you go to. But
0: I don't think that's how that works.
1: No, probably not. I mean, I guess if you're a, I guess if you're a, if you're a Asgardian, you go to the. Hella, I think they specialize the one, like but...
0: a medical building. Like you go in and they have like the stomach guy and the and the yeah eye the guy. orthopedic yeah, yeah the, right the ear nose and yeah, throat dudes ear, appear right. you
1: know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so as we talked about earlier in the show, uh, he first appeared in Silver Surfer number three from 1968. Uh, he was retconned into being the uh the devil that cursed johnny blaze right uh originally if you read those original johnny blaze comics they just came out right they just came right out and said it It was satan and marvel backpedaled and they were like no 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 it's Mephisto." (laughs) somehow much better they're like no moms
0: Um, no no moms don't freak out (laughs) yeah right yes
1: so, like, there are there are very few, like, specific great Mephisto stories. There was the Silver Surfer thing. There was his appearances in Daredevil. Uh, he pops up here and there. He pops up a lot during a bunch of different events. Um, I love Mephisto uh, in the Infinity Gauntlet. Oh, yeah. Oh, or, so yeah. Thanos, Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet, and Mephisto's like, oh, I know what side of the bread. my I know what side my bread's buttered on. I'm going to like whisper in this dude's ear and see if I can curry his favor. uh, And it ends up not going very well for him. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Mephisto, he's ridiculous and I love him.
0: And yeah. The one thing that I like about Mephisto and he's not even on my list. (laughs) Spoiler. (laughs) But the one thing I like about him is he is this kind of trickster devil But he is super powerful. He can fuck with Thanos if he wants to. He can mess with the Silver Surfer and stuff like that. He chooses to be who he is and chooses to express his will the way that he does in the Marvel Universe. And they've always been pretty good with that. He's not just like cackling devil guy. (laughs) I'm here for evil. Like he's more of a, a trickster like Loki than he is like a pure Satan type character. He knows what he wants. He wants your soul. Yeah, yeah kind of. And he rules over his kingdom, and he's in charge there, and you play by the rules or get, get out. But he also doesn't want to start a lot of shit. You know? Like, I don't want to deal with the garbage. I just want to do my thing, man. You know? It's like when bad people die, I get a cheeseburger. I want to keep those cheeseburgers coming in. You know? <laughs> They're delicious. <laughs> <laughs> my number two goes to... Ghost Rider, not just any Ghost Rider. It goes to Danny Ketch Ghost Rider, nineteen nineties super bike riding Ghost Rider. Because when yeah, that buddy. book came out, that was sort of the birth of the enhanced cover at the time. And I will never forget we were getting like glow in the dark covers and shit in nineteen ninety. Yeah, that first Ghost Rider glow in the dark cover, I took that home held it up the light bulb, turned the lights off, and it scared the shit out of me. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. (laughs) Instantly fell in love. Danny Ketch became the ghostwriter when he took his little sister to, where else? A graveyard on Halloween because they wanted to visit the grave of Harry Houdini. It just so happened that there was a gang led by Death Watch and another gang led by the Kingpin having a gang war. In the graveyard, that's what gangs do. (laughs) Okay, Barbara gets injured. Danny grabs her body, runs away to a nearby junkyard. He's upset. He's freaked out. He's covering his sister's blood. There is, and of course, there's a motorcycle there in the junkyard. It's glowing. He has to check it out. He touches it. And he is instantly transformed into Ghost Rider, a spirit of vengeance, whose mission was to take revenge on those who shed innocent blood. Not bad. Like, pretty good thing to happen for a dipshit that took his his sister
1: to a a graveyard
0: to see the grave of Harry Houdini. (laughs) Danny Ketch was sort of the next phase of the Ghost Rider in the 90s, where they wanted him to be a little more extreme and cooler and tougher than, like, the old Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider, where, like, Johnny Blaze was like a stuntman and stuff. He was very much like an Evil Knievel type character. Danny was supposed to be more like you and me. He's just a kid from the street and he doesn't know why he's here you he's know from the streets. <laughs> and they introduced a lot of really dumb ideas like the midnight suns and stuff like that and later on you shut your mouth the midnight suns were great oh my god <laughs> it gets really cheesy really fast but you can go pick up like the entire danny catch they still print this stuff in this like danny catch what's it called we've got it right here like an epic Ghostwriter kind of Danny catch classics where they reprint the whole series when they get to the Salvador La Roca stuff towards the end of the series. It's like the bail, the last 10 issues. Are Punch out.
1: Gorgeous.
0: They're amazing.
1: No, but they're bad. They're the so bad. The Story
0: is terrible. It's so <laughs> no, bad. It's very bad. But it's early Salvador La Roca and the art kicks ass. I absolutely love it.
1: Do you remember when they gave him that like orange and white tracksuit? Oh yeah. Kinda,
0: oh yeah. The, they were trying to damn. make him look more like a superhero cuz they were like,
1: "All right, all right, you guys don't like the leather jacket? No problem." <laughs> Just awful.
0: Just now, terrible. Also, go check out Ghost Rider by Jason Aaron. He brought back Danny Great Ketch. Run. Yes. And there's an omnibus that that prints the whole thing. It's fantastic. And it's Danny Ketch and Johnny blaze together. And they, there was a spinoff called ghost writers as well. That was a short series. That's also printed in there. Fantastic stuff.
1: Uh, this most recent ghost writer series by Ed Brisson and Aaron Cooter is also not bad. You know, I didn't read it. I read the first couple issues and I fell way behind. It got canceled pretty quick, but I mean, it's, it's pretty good. All right, let's take it home. It should come as no surprise that our co number one is Hellboy. Yeah. From Dark Horse Comics, number created one by Mike Manola. Bullet, come on, AKA Anung Unrama, which means "and upon his brow is set a crown of flame," which has <laughs> happened from time to time. It does appear. Big spoilers for Hellboy's later uh, stories. He is the descendant of King Arthur, the rightful king of England, and also the uh, prophesied ruler of Hell. He was summoned to hell from. Uh, pardon me. He was summoned to Earth from hell by a group of Nazis and Rasputin, evil wizard. Uh, their plot was thwarted by the uh, BPRD, the early BPRD, and Professor Bruton Holmes. Well, during wasn't, World
0: War II, it wasn't thwarted so much as the Nazis had the wrong location. The Nazis Is summoned him. Yeah, the Nazis. Did the summoning ritual, they didn't realize that it would pull him to a different place. Professor Brudenholm was like, this is where he's going to show up.
1: When he was a baby in hell, he got his arm chopped off and it was replaced by the right hand of doom. Yeah. Which is a relic tied to the Ogdru Jihad, which is basically like king shit of all the demons in the, the verse. The, the Conqueror Worm. Uh, and so, yeah, Hellboy is raised as an agent of good, and he joins the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. He becomes a hero. He fights monsters and devils. He's such a uh, wonderful sometimes character. Sometimes there are elves
0: and talking pig creatures. He's such a wonderful character, though, because, like, Hellboy is a bad guy. And he is destined to be this, like, the guy that takes over for evil he's dad. Got,
1: he's got a scary destiny, yes. And so his his story is... His story is a really fascinating, you know, tale of nature versus nurture. Absolutely. And can you, can you fight your own upbringing? Uh, can you fight your own destiny? Right. Like, if you grew up with an alcoholic, abusive dad, are you going to become your dad? You know, well, not, just not necessarily. It's also a bit of a Superman story
0: where, like, he was taken from where he was and discovered by the right people that made him a good yeah, person. Absolutely. You know, no, and for sure. Had Lex Luthor's parents discovered Superman, probably a very different origin for that character. But what do we know about Superman? I'm not going to go into that. Anyway, and,
1: <laughs> and if that, and if the Waynes had found Hellboy, Hellboy would have become Batman. Exactly. Everybody knows how it works. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Hellboy uh, is such a wonderful, amazing character though. With so much depth and he's so much more than a superhero. And
1: yeah, he's so he's so rich and complex and complicated. And like the way he interacts with his his uh supporting cast is is so awesome like i love his relationships with liz and with kate well they're all broken characters
0: as well that's the thing everybody in the bprd aside from the military personnel that are like assigned there to watch these people that have special abilities and if they fuck up we have to kill them because they're scary and we're barely in control of them and they all know that as well abe sapien who is like the amphibian creature that was discovered in a tube. And the only reason they named him Abe is because on that tube, there was a, a little placard that had the same date that Abraham Lincoln was killed. And so they're like, all right, that's all we know about him. Well, and we open him up and he seems like a nice guy. He works for us now. And like yeah. Liz is a pyrokinetic. There's a homunculus named Roger that works with them for a while as well. And like, they're all these misfits. A, a, a gassy ghost in a suit. That just want to be better. They want to do the right thing. And mm-hmm. prove like we're not evil. And Hellboy is—he's such a one wonderful. Of the, one of ended up being erics. a Wendigo, which yeah. is rad. Yeah. Well, he wasn't at first. He ended up being a Wendigo. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> well, that's the thing. that happens. You don't die. You turn into the Wendigo. You know. Otherwise, they go eat you. Yeah. You know. let's tell you. That's uh, how but they yeah, mate. no.
1: Like Hellboy is amazing. It, it required reading for Hellboy. All of it. Start at the beginning. Seed of Destruction. It is a his ride. Actu- his actual first appearance is in a comic book called John Burns' Next Men, uh, number 21. You don't need it. Don't fucking worry yeah, about it. Yeah, you don't need it. If you want to collect um,
0: it, collect it. It's not important to the story. Start with Seed of Destruction. No,
1: just get those Hellboy library editions. Mike Mignola. comprehensive printings of them.
0: Mike Mignola will take you on a ride. And then a, a do yourself a arc. favor
1: and- and follow right into BPRD with yeah. it. Because BPRD somehow, at some points, is even better.
0: The Hellboy stuff will always be my favorite, but I don't disagree. The BPRD stuff is great. But I would argue that Mike Magnola's character arc on Hellboy is unlike any character arc in comics. It is, it, it truly, like he set out with a great idea and turned it into one of the most impressive character stories, and character examinations in comics today. It's incredible. And it is important, and I think it will be looked back on as a masterpiece for years. Hellboy, far and away, my favorite demon or devil in comics.
1: Totally agreed.
0: Excelsior! That is it for THN 595. My God. Next week... We are back reviewing new comics and a little show called The Mandalorian premieres this Friday. So we're going to talk about Star Wars Bounty Hunters in comics for our Comic Pushers segment. Until then, Joe
1: Patrick, set these nerds up with our question of the week, please. This week's question was submitted by Brian Domingos via the THN forums. He wants to hear all about your Halloween antics, especially if they involve nerdy, preferably comics related,
0: Costumes. Totally. We also want to hear about your favorite demons and devils. We want to talk about comics that scared you. We're talking scary
1: comics this week. Uh, the, cover to cover. the thread for cover. The, the thread for the question of the week is on the Facebook page. It's also on the forums. Use those places to post photos of your nerdy costumes from this year or yesteryear, and we will definitely make fun of you on the show. Totally. Or show up and post them in the Facebook chat live. It'll be great. You know what? You can't actually post images in the Facebook chat. You can only post links. Oh, really? Well... Yeah, it's weird. Post a link to your image. Whatever. Cover to Cover is back every Saturday at 10.30 live on our Facebook page, and it is also the new home for our nerd news segment. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answers to twoheadednerd at gmail.com, and you could be internet famous. Uh, Please do keep it to two minutes or less and share the air with the other spooky nerds out there. If you're
0: new to the show and you are willing to trade your marriage to Mephisto to get us to stop right now, trust me, you just haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And regardless of what some people say, we do know what we're talking about when it comes to comics. I let host in that many episodes. It ain't cheap, nerd. So we want to thank donors like our man on the streets, Mr. Damon Chan. He's still out there somewhere wearing his mask, washing his
1: hands, doing it the right way, and doing that work. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Black Scorpion number three for doing his best to clean up my digital mess uh, from earlier, uh, from late last night, and all through today, all through today. (laughs) You did not need to do that, buddy. It was my fault for kicking the hornet's nest, and honestly... I guess you have to admire these guys' passion.
0: Hey, it's their clubhouse. You're the one that went in there and took a crap. We're <laughs> right. not calling them out by name.
1: You know who they are if you know what's going on. But it's just, it's a whole thing.
0: Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just break your neck for no reason when there's plenty of other things you could have done. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing up.